Hello and welcome to another edition of Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis. Thank you for joining me and thanks in particular to everyone who shared last week's show, commented and sent in poems. Do keep the poems coming as I'll be featuring some online and in later episodes and there's another writing exercise coming up today. This week I'm joined by Sue Burge, a poet and teacher of film studies and creative writing. She combines these interests in cinematic poems that blend classic film imagery, scenes from real life and her vivid imagination. I asked her how her interests in film and poetry first came together. Okay, so um, it really started when I was at University of East Anglia. I was um, teaching creative writing, um, particularly interested in poetry, and I was asked to do some cultural studies courses for international students so that they understood Britain um, and its culture a little bit more. And it was at that point I started um, bringing film into my classes and really never looked back from that. Um, so um, when I went freelance, I started teaching film and creative writing um, pretty much full, full time. And um, it was really, I suppose, the last 15 years when I started getting quite obsessed with film, especially silent film, that it started unbeknownst to me really filtering into my poetry and then um, once I'd realised how cinematic my poems were becoming I started consciously trying to tie the two together and it was at that point that I thought it would be interesting to start teaching courses where film inspired poetry. Yeah so what was uh, inspiring your poetry before then? I think I was interested in women's voices. Um, I was particularly interested in Victorian women, um, especially the kind of underbelly of Victorian life. So um, prostitutes and um, orphans, um, the workhouse. I was very interested in sort of giving the women in those situations a bit of a voice. And fairy tales, although there are so many films about fairy tales, I'm mm. pretty sure that, that that was a kind of influence as well. Yeah. So how do you find film influencing your poetry? It's really interesting, um, especially when I teach it. The more I teach film as a launching pad for poetry, the more I realise what the similarities are. So I'm very interested in poems that use the black and the white space, so poems which are not all about the words on the page but use the space as well. And I think film's very good at doing that. It has um, moments of silence, moments of music where there's not talking all the time. So I think that influenced me. I'm also really interested in cuts. So how would you cut a poem up so that it would... Be, um, have a kind of rapid momentum like a Hitchcock film mm. and how would you get that sort of black and white noir feeling into your poem, what adjectives would you use, um, how would you create that atmosphere and I've been looking at a, um, a Russian film called Russian Ark which is all one take and I've been thinking of how um, that might 
inspire me to write a poem all in one block and one sentence. Mm. So that would be a kind of continuous, almost stream of consciousness take. Um, so there are all sorts of ways in which like poetry and film have similarities and seep in. Also the subject matter. I'm very keen on film noir and German expressionism. So I'm very influenced by light and shade. And I try to bring that into my poetry. My two collections, one's called Lumiere and one's called In the Kingdom mm. of Shadows. So even the titles of the two collections just kind of reflect my interest in light and shade and shadows and mm. goes back to that kind of underbelly again as well. And do you find you writing poems based on particular films or is it just more of a styles of film and... Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. I think a bit of both. Um, I, I've written a poem called Metropolis, which is on my website, which was very much influenced by a combination of Blade Runner and the Fritz Lang film Metropolis. A lot of my Paris poems were influenced by particular films, but I also like just capturing a mood... Um, so um, the the feeling of space in a western, for example, or the the threat particularly to the women in a film noir and playing mm. around with Hitchcock's idea of obsession, um, looking at you know, whether things like Pantuma Villanelles, which are repeated forms, mm. can reflect obsession in all his films, really. So a, li- a little bit of both, I guess. I've uh, brought some poems with you. Uh, Shall we hear one? Okay, so I'll start with this one. Um, I love uh, Wizard of Oz, and uh, I was really interested in Judy Garland. So sometimes I'm influenced by actors and directors, not just the content of the film. And this is quite an old one, um, but it's, it's in the collection in The Kingdom of Shadows, And it's called I'm Not Wearing Chanel for the Radio. I'm not wearing Chanel for the radio, says Judy, the week before she dies, as she pulls on her carnival mask, clicks her heels, night after night. But home is never where she expects it to be. And she smokes till that voice, that whiskey voice, catches and gags, catches and gags, her pitted lungs simmering with unsung songs. Her skinny arms zithered with old scars crawl their last as she finds a corner she can call her own to drink a final rainbow, silencing all her somewheres. Sounds like you've taken uh, part of the life of the actress and uh, sort of blended it with the uh, images from Wizard of Oz. Yes, mm. yes, very much so, the clicking the heels. Yeah. Um, and um, you know her, her drug addiction. Um, it, her drug addiction started in The Wizard of Oz when the studio, because she was a child star, they kind of fed her drugs to keep her going, to keep her energy levels up. Mm. Um, so it's hard to separate Judy Garland from The Wizard of Oz and what she became later. Yeah, it's uh, hard to look at the film the same way when yes. you know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do you get to your students' Uh, thinking about film and using that in poetry? 
Um, I usually have a theme, so it might be something like I use the film Patterson, which is that wonderful Jim Jarmusch film with um, Adam Driver playing a bus driver who um, works in Patterson, um, mm-hmm. which was a, a big influence on William Carlos Williams. Um, and he's a poet, the bus driver is a poet. So we looked at how the film was um, really, without being avert, showing the whole pantheon of 20th century American poetry. Mm. It had bits of Frank O'Hara, Emily Dickinson, uh, William Carlos Williams, and all the poems which Adam Driver was pretending to write were actually written by Ron Padgett. So we we looked at the film and how certain extracts were particularly poetic. And then we looked at poems by Ron Padgett, William Carlos Williams and Frank O'Hara um, and wrote about place um, and about relationships and saying sorry um, based on inspirational clips from the film mm. and the, the poems that we felt went with the film. Sometimes... Um, we did a, a session on westerns, and um, I got them all to write a ballad um, that could be sung um, as part of the soundtrack of a western film. And some of the students actually recorded themselves singing their ballads. Mm. So that was fun because it looked at um, the musicality of poetry and repetition. Um, we've done um, a film noir as well and we had a look at poems which really spoke about the city um, mm. which conjured up a very dark, gritty urban environment and, and imitated that kind of style with the help of some quite um, classic film noir mm. clips as well. I imagine it must uh, bring up a rich variety of work. Um, anything particularly memorable? Oh, gosh, so many. I'm very lucky that I have such good students who respond so well to the tasks. Um, There were some particularly good um, ballads, Western ballads. And I I think um, one student wrote a poem in the form of a trailer for either a Western or a film noir, I can't remember, but that was quite memorable because it was Mm. a very different take on it. So that was interesting, yeah. Mm. Um, you spent some time in Paris and uh, the, the pamphlet came out of that. Yes, uh, I, I was very fortunate in um, that I got an Arts Council grant and my brief was to respond to the cinematic heritage of Paris. Mm. Um, I've always loved French film and I teach um, French cinema. So the grant enabled me to um, have some mentoring and go on some um, Arvon courses. But it also enabled me to spend a total of six weeks in Paris. And I literally walked the streets every day. I went to film locations. I went to iconic cinemas because the French New Wave directors always have their protagonists going into cinemas and watching films which somehow comment on the action they're showing. So I spent a long time watching films in um, these classic cinemas, including the one which, in Breathless, um, Gene Seberg escapes from two policemen through the window in the ladies' loo. So Uh I went to the ladies' loo and looked at the window, (laughs) um, which was was quite something. 
Um, so I just immerse myself in um, the idea of films set in Paris, located in Paris, researched some of the iconic um, actors and actresses like Arletti and Jean Gabin, who epitomised Paris, um, and just wrote. I went to cafes and wrote, because that's quite an important aspect of Paris, that idea of cafe culture and all these great writers who maybe even sat in the same seat um, I was sitting in. So I had a great time sort of evoking Paris as a cultural centre. I also found this wonderful woman called Juliette Dubois, and she runs a company called Cine Ballade. So she actually takes you round an area of Paris with her iPad and shows you clips of films which were set in uh -huh. those locations so you can actually stand and watch the film clip. And all the tours were in French, so it helped improve my French as well. And she was just a great resource. And um, out of that came my pamphlet, Lumiere, which is, I can't remember how many poems in total, but it's um, around 25 poems, maybe more, maybe 30, which um, respond to this cinematic heritage. And the pamphlet was picked up, picked up by a new poetry press called Hedgehog Poetry Press. And it's done really well. It's sold out of its first run. It's on its second run. So um, I'm really pleased. Uh, yeah. Had you spent much time in Paris before then? I had. Um, I studied French at university and I've, I'd been taught French since I was seven. Um, Paris had always been my kind of dream place to be. So as soon as I left college, where I qualified as a bilingual secretary, I went to Paris and lived there for a while. Um, and I was always backwards and forwards, um, immersing myself in Paris. So it was it was a very familiar place and didn't feel alien at all. Um, but I'd never really focused so much on Paris and film. So that was mm. a new aspect to it for me. Yeah. Um, can we hear one of those poems? Yeah, sure. The one I'll do is um, in Printemps Department Store. I went to Paris in April, May 2016, and it was just after, not just after, but it felt still from the kind of point of view of the Parisians, um, just after the Paris attacks of November 2015. Mm -hmm. So there were um, armed soldiers in the streets, there were guards on the doors of the big shops searching your bags, and... Um, I had my bag searched when I went into Printemps, which is a, a big department store. And um, I went for a, a, a hot chocolate. They do this amazing hot chocolate um, under the glass, beautiful stained glass dome ceiling. And as I was sitting there, I thought, if a bomb did go off, this isn't the greatest place to be sitting. <laughs> and that kind of inspired this poem. In Printemps Department Store. A sleety April shower drives me in, past the soldiers on the wet street, the bag searchers at the doors. I escalate up six floors of opulence, order a jug of chocolat onctueur under a stained glass dome, higher than I can tilt my head. It reminds me of Kirsten Dunst in Marie Antoinette, surrounded by pyramids of shoes like sugared almonds, Pools of mirrors reflecting an infinite catwalk, cascades of champagne and cake, layered and extravagant as wigs. 
This is how it began, confides Murray as I take another sip. Shopping lists get longer, longer than the sum of my days. The solace of silk and velvet, the heart flutter of new shoes, the best pastries rotting my weak-willed teeth, my play kingdom spreading like mould at the end of Louis's careful gardens, unfinished, a whole age lost under a falling blade. And perhaps this is how it will end for me, a sudden shattering, high heels whirling past like multicoloured spines, silk tearing and fluttering in a rainbow of rags, the glass, royal blue, gold, terracotta, peacock, raining down on my pretty neck. I like how you uh, take moments from life and moments from film and uh, in this case moments from your imagination as well, blend them together. Yeah, I, I really like doing that, and I, I particularly love that film. It's Sofia Coppola's um, Marie Antoinette because it's so modern, and it just looks as it looks at Marie Antoinette as kind of the material girl. I think they even play Madonna's material girl in it, as she has all these amazing goods mm. brought to her to choose from. So, and that, and being in this amazing department store, I love the way ideas clash together in your head and form a poem without you even realising it. I find that really exciting. Yeah. So uh, do you find uh, when you're watching films, you're sort of looking for a poem or...? The, the... Um, yeah, that's, um, that's a really good question. I, I don't consciously... And I watch films again and again. So usually the first time I watch a film, I'm very passive. It feels a bit like, you know, an armchair, passive watching... And then if I feel it's got kind of layers and depth, I'll watch it again and again and start thinking about it for teaching purposes. And it's probably then that I start getting excited about messages and symbolism and layers and depth. And that's probably when the poem starts to come out. But just as a cinema goer, I think I probably behave like anyone else and it, films don't really go in until a lot later. Um, it's like reading a text over and over and suddenly you, you get that kind of moment of epiphany um, where you realise that there's something going on that you can work with. And uh, you've got a, a cinematic uh, writing exercise for us. Oh yes, so I'm very interested in the idea of black and white and colour. There's a really good book out at the moment called The Colour of Time can't remember who it's by but it it takes iconic black and white photos there's there's a um, great one of the assassin of Abraham Lincoln and it colorizes them so this assassin of mm. Abraham Lincoln actually looks like a 50s teenager when he's been colorized it's really bizarre and I was quite mm. struck by that idea of how how do you dream and how do you remember things do you remember them in black and white or color um, so my writing prompt is to take an incident from your life and write about it, write about the memory in black and white. could be from the point of view of, of you as a, a younger person, as a child. And then to write the same memory, but as a kind of remake in Technicolor. So um, you would have a kind of second stanza or a second block of writing um, where you would tell the whole incident, but in a different way, colourised, maybe embellished, 
um, maybe made a bit more modern, maybe made a bit more adult. You could be seeing the same incident from an adult's point of view in the, in the second part. So black and white and colour, slightly different points of view, and that idea of the remake which plays with memory and makes it embellished and different. And is this an exercise you've done with your students? I have done a variation of that with my students, but I'm going to do it... um, I've got a new course coming up, uh, a poetry course inspired by film, and it's the World Tour. So we're actually going to look at films set in Moscow, Paris, Berlin... Oh, Tokyo. And that this will be one of the exercises. Um, So we'll, we'll see what happens. Great. Well, um, I had uh, a go at it, and um, I mean, what I'd uh, why I'd suggest approaching it is to start off just take ten minutes or so, make a list of uh, memories, experiences from your life, not thinking too much about uh, how you might use them in a poem, just as a good sort of brainstorming exercise to uh, get started with the writing. Um, so that's what I did, and then that sort of led me to a uh, uh, memory which I then used for this poem, which is called Splash. I grasp the steel bar, feet firm on the white tiles. My vision vignettes around the centre of the pool, where nothing is solid, and the water fidgets with every stroke, breath and shiver. I lunge, and thick spray coats shaky frames in a heavy grain as I thrash my way into a weightless moment before the polished floor finds my sinking legs. And no one saw this boy at the edge of the pool, azure as a slab of fallen sky. And when he lunged towards the centre, Limbs like broken propellers churned the blue into swan-white wings as he flew, fell and flew again, reaching a little further with each flailing flight. I really enjoyed that, Patrick. Thank you for responding to the prompt. Um, in in that way, a really interesting poem. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting to revisit memories in that way. You start to think about uh, camera angles and uh, uh, types of film and mm, film yeah. and uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I think um, I think you've sort of hit the nail on the head that. Poetry um, does do a lot with camera angles, doesn't it? It focuses in on on kind of close-ups with your memories and and then it kind of comes back out again, um, gives you a panoramic view. Um, It does all sorts of um, things which you can see in film with camera angles. So that's an interesting analogy, yeah. Yeah. So... um... I'd certainly encourage you to have a go at that, um, send in uh, what you've written or uh, share it on social media, um, and uh, good luck with it. Um, yeah, have you got uh, another poem to finish with? I have. Um, I've got another one from um, Lumiere, and it's, um, it's simply called Jean Gabin. And it's about this iconic actor. Um, he was 
he was the kind of um, working man's hero. He always had a cap and um, always took on the, the role of the working man. And he was particularly popular in the 30s and 40s. He was an ex-music hall star, so he had quite a good voice as well and a great presence. Um, it was said that he appealed to both men and women, that all the women wanted to sleep with him and all the men wanted to be his friend. So um, audiences were, were huge for his films. And um, he he was a bit of a war hero as well. Um, and when he died, um, the number of people who went to his funeral lining the streets, it almost rivaled de Gaulle's funeral. So it was a huge outpouring of grief when he died. And this poem is about um, a woman who is obsessed with the actor Jean Gabin. Jean Gabin. It's not an obsession, she assure, assures her friends, bedroom wallpaper sagging under the weight of his face. She has never seen him in colour. Pictures, hay blonde hair, eyes as blue as her new spring dress. His face has lived a hundred lives, collar open, jaunty casquette, worn trousers pulling at his lean bones. She wants him to kill for her, lost in love's whirlpool, like in Le Jour Celève, as Arletti looks on. None of his stories end well. One day she sees him buying Gaulois on the Rue de Charonne, follows him back to a shuttered and geraniumed apartment block. All day she remembers how he smiled as she passed, how he was both more and less than she imagined, her body glowing like a miracle. Occupation, liberation, her bones surfacing, blue dress at least a decade out of fashion. She waits for him to return to the city that gives him his only true voice. The day he dies, she cries herself to madness. His funeral, stately as a president's, his beautiful ashes sinking. Now she walks the streets, shows the world his photo, creased and cracked to anonymity. That was Sue Burge. Sue offers a range of courses and workshops exploring various areas of film and creative writing. Check out her website, sueburge.uk, more information on those, her books, and to read more of her work. You can find that address and other information from today's show on the website poetrynonstop.com. You can also find details of today's writing prompt. I look forward to reading your responses and sharing some of them. You can also still submit poems in response to Jamie Osborne's prompt last week. If you missed that show, you can find it wherever you found this one. You can email contributions to poetrynonstop at gmail.com, post them on the blog, or share them on social media using the hashtag PoetryNonStop. If you would like more tips on writing poetry, then please consider purchasing my book, also called Poetry Nonstop. You can find it on Amazon, or there's a link on the website. Join me again for another episode next Thursday. 
Thanks again for listening and keep writing. Next week on Poetry Nonstop, I'm joined by Martin Figura. Martin has long been an accomplished poet of great wit and humour. But beneath the laughter lay memories of a troubled childhood and a dark secret which very few people knew about until he started writing about it. This led him to produce some of his strongest work, resulting in an award-winning poetry collection and show. The family sits round the table, ready for the meal, which is me, trussed up at the ankles and wrists, cooked to a golden finish like a chicken. Uncle Philip, as head of the family, sharpens the knife, carves slices of flesh from my thighs and deftly transfers them to oven-worn plates. Now everyone gets stuck into the broccoli and potatoes. They are pouring gravy, spooning stuffing from my ribcage. Exploring truth through metaphor, next week on Poetry Non-Stop. <laughs>